would invite you to take your Bibles and turn to turn with me to the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. We're going to be looking at the last chapter of the first book of the Bible, Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to be looking at the very final verses of that chapter, verses 16 through 20. So we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. It's been a couple of years since we looked at this important passage. It is a passage that is really a foundation for the church in so many ways. It's important for us as God's people to consider, uh, when we, especially when we take time like we are this weekend, to think about how God's at work globally around the world. It's, it's good for us to put our eyes back on these verses because it's such a foundational passage for what God's mission is in this world and the calling that He gives to each of us as His people. So I'd invite you to listen as I read to you, beginning in chapter 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, we pray for the same Holy Spirit who caused these words to be written down so long ago, to be at work here in this room and wherever people are watching this and causing us, Father, to have an understanding of what your word says. We pray, Father, that you would move in us and bring conviction into our hearts and our minds. Bring encouragement to us as we read these words and as we are reminded of how you are at work in this world, accomplishing your mission. Give us a sense of joy and hope and encouragement as we also see the ways that you call us to be at work as you work through us to accomplish your purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you have believed him? Would you have believed him? The year was around 30 A.D. The world had been turned upside down through the life and ministry of the God-man named Jesus Christ. He had been wrongly accused, tried, convicted, and executed. And just as he had promised... Three days after his execution, Jesus rose from the grave. And after about 40 days of appearing to his disciples and followers, he appeared to his disciples one last time. He told them the words that we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Essentially what he said to them was, You are my disciples and you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as Jesus finished saying those words, the disciples watched as Jesus ascended back up into heaven. Those were the last words that he said to his disciples on earth. And the question is, if you had been there, if you had heard Jesus's words, what would you have thought? Would you have believed him that you, 
as one of God's people, as one of God's disciples, we're going to be used by the Lord to be his witness, not only in Jerusalem, a city you knew well, but in Samaria, which included the geographical area around Jerusalem and to the ends of the world. Would you have believed him? To the ends of the world? And also, you just watched Jesus go back up into heaven and so you knew he wasn't going to be with you physically. Would you have believed him? And yet, here we are. 2,000 years later, 6,250 miles away from Jerusalem, across an ocean in Rochester, Minnesota, Trinity Presbyterian Church, a gathering of followers of Jesus Christ. We are the ends of the earth. Jesus' last words to his disciples that day were not the first words that Jesus spoke to his disciples about God accomplishing his mission in this world. After Jesus rose from the grave and before he said those last words to his disciples, he gathered his disciples in Galilee and he met with them. And the record of what transpired is what we have in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. One of the better known passages in all of Scripture, often referred to as the Great Commission. And it's well known, at least partly, because it's such a foundational and important text for understanding the purpose, the mission of God's church on earth. On a weekend like this, as we pause to take time to reflect on the global outreach of the church, it is good for us to come back to this foundational passage. So today... I want us to see three things from what Matthew 28 is saying. First of all, what God's mission is. Second of all, the method by which God accomplishes his mission. And then thirdly, the calling that he has for everyone who would call themselves one of his disciples in participating in his mission. So first of all, God's mission. What is it? Well, there are Lots of ideas. If you ask people about what the mission or the purpose of the church is, you might hear them say things like, the purpose of the church, the mission of the church is to tell other people about Jesus. It is to grow the church. It is to make converts. It is to make an impact on society. It is to preach the gospel. It is to do mercy. All of those things are good things for the church to be doing. But I would suggest to you that they are not the best descriptions of God's mission for God's church. If you have studied the Great Commission before, then you probably remember that Jesus gave one specific command in these verses that we've just read. There's only one verb that is in the imperative. There's only one verb that is the command that Jesus is giving to his people. It is at the beginning of verse 19 where he says, make disciples. That's the command. That's the imperative. Everything else that Jesus is saying in these verses is supporting the main thing for the church to be doing. The rest of the verbs in these verses are participles. They are describing what it looks like to make disciples. This is the mission that God has for his church, that we make disciples. The question is, what does that mean? What does it look like? And that's where all of these other supporting verbs come in and help us to understand what does it look like to make disciples? 
One thing we can say is that it looks like reaching out, reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would put their faith in him. Where can you see that in the passage? Well, at the beginning of verse 19, go, therefore, he says, it's probably better translated as as you go or as you are going out. Part of the plan for the disciples is to reach out to Jerusalem, to Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. They are to go, therefore. They are to reach out. But notice Jesus also says that as they are reaching out, as they are sharing the gospel with people, they are to be baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism was the initiation rite into the church. In other words, what Jesus is telling his disciples is that they are to be going out, they are to be reaching out, they are to be sharing the gospel. People will come to faith in Christ and they are to be baptized and brought into the church. So this is part of what making disciples means. Reaching unbelievers with the gospel of grace and bringing them in and folding them into the church. But notice he says something else. It's not just reaching. It's also equipping. You can see that at the beginning of verse 20. He says that we are to be teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. God's mission of making disciples is not just about reaching people with the gospel. It also involves discipleship. To be a disciple of Jesus, you have to be discipled. And teaching in that culture wasn't just learning information and facts, that certainly was part of it, but it involved training and modeling and practicing and equipping. That's what the church's mission is to do, is to reach out with the gospel. It is to enfold people into the church as they are baptized, and then they are to be equipped. They are to be taught they are to be trained and they are to sh be shown how to practice the Christian faith. And, and notice what Jesus says, that they are to teach them. They are to teach everything that Jesus has commanded. Now, where do we find that? Where do we find what Jesus has commanded? Well, it's in the Word of God. We are to be learning and teaching what the Bible says and then putting it into practice in our lives. This is what God's mission is about. It is about making disciples, which involves reaching people with the gospel and equipping them to live and to serve in God's kingdom. And I want you to notice here that Jesus also tells them something about who God's mission was to be focused on. What does he say in verse 19? Go, therefore, and make disciples of who? Of all nations, he says. God's mission of making disciples is to be going out to the nations. In Greek, it is ta ethne, all ethnicities, all the nations. God's mission is for a global church, people from every tribe and tongue and nation and ethnicity. It's not limited to just people that we know or people that look like us or people that act like us or people that are only from where we're from. And it took the disciples, the first disciples, a little while to understand this. Initially, they didn't leave Jerusalem. They stayed close to what they knew. They stayed close to what was familiar. 
But just as Jesus had said, they were going to be his witnesses, not just in Jerusalem, but in the surrounding area of Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. It started slow. They were afraid. They stayed close to what they knew. They stayed close to what was comfortable. But that's not the full mission of God's church. God's mission is to make disciples of all nations. And perhaps we can relate to this. Perhaps we're tempted, too, to stay close to what we know and what's comfortable to us. There's nothing wrong with reaching out and equipping and making disciples of people that we know and people that are like us and people that we're comfortable with, but we can't stop there. Our praying, our sending, our going for God's mission must focus on all nations. So here is God's mission for His church, that we would make disciples which involves reaching people with the gospel of grace, enfolding them into the church, and equipping them with the word of God. And it's a global mission. It is a mission that is focused on filling the church with the nations, people of all ethnicities. That's God's mission. But notice we also get something here about the method by which God will accomplish his, method, his mission. God's method is motivating and mobilizing who? His own people, his disciples. He uses his own people to accomplish his mission. Now, some of you may be looking at Matthew chapter 28 and you say, it looks to me like this mission was given just to the 11 disciples. It seems like that's who this was specifically given to. And certainly that was the context of Matthew chapter 28. But we know from the book of Acts and from the other New Testament letters and even from church history, Jesus's command went way beyond the 11 disciples. We are all proof of that. If we are disciples of Jesus Christ, then his mission is for us too. the Great Commission is for all of God's people. And I want you to notice how Jesus motivates us to be part of what God is doing and accomplishing his mission. How does he motivate his disciples? Well, what does he say in verse 18? Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Brothers and sisters in Christ, think about what this means. King Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and now therefore, go make disciples. In other words, Jesus is telling us that as we go out and make disciples, we go with the very authority and power of Jesus Christ. And think of this. When Jesus walked on this earth, he revealed only a very small amount of the power and the authority that he truly had. He healed people. He commanded evil spirits. He fed the multitudes. He raised the dead. But look at what he says now. All the full force of his authority and power is unleashed for God's mission of making disciples. As he sends us out to make disciples, we are going with the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. The very same power that silenced storms and multiplied food and healed the sick and raised the dead and even created the universe. 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, here's the question for us to wrestle with. If we really believe that this was true, how would it change our mindset about participating in God's mission? What places would we be willing to go to? What conversations would we be willing to have? What resources would we be willing to use? Now, if that wasn't enough motivation for us, the authority of heaven and earth given to Jesus and used for the mission of God's church. Notice what else he tells them to motivate them at the end of verse 20. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As we go out to be involved with Jesus's mission, he says, behold, pay attention. Watch this. Look here. I am promising that I'm going to go with you. We don't go anywhere. We don't talk to anyone. We don't do anything on our own. We are always in the presence of King Jesus as we seek to go out and make disciples. He not only goes before us with his power and authority, he goes with us. He is with us. And if we believed this was true, how would it change our motivation and our desire in our actual going out to make disciples? How would it change our conversations? How would it address our fears and hesitations? How would it change how we pray? For those of you that were here yesterday to hear uh, MTW's team leader, Mark Ambrose, uh, team leader for Cambodia, uh, you know that uh, it, was a, it was both a very encouraging as well as a very heavy uh, time of listening to Dr. Ambrose as he told us about the very significant ministry that they have to uh, young girls that are being trafficked, trafficked in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And he told us some amazing stories. And there were a couple times when you could almost tell that he could sense the, the heaviness in the room and he could sense the somberness in the room because he stopped a couple of times and he said to, tell, to point out to us that there is darkness that they see on a regular basis as they are involved in that ministry in Cambodia. There's a heaviness, there is a darkness, but then he reminded us a number of times yesterday that into that darkness the light of Jesus Christ is shining and that the gates of hell will never prevail against God's mission of accomplishing his church. We have the presence and we have the power and the authority of none other than King Jesus as we go out to participate in God's mission. That is motivation indeed. But notice, God not only motivates his people, he mobilizes his people. And he even mobilizes weak and doubting people. Did you see what he says in what Matthew says in 16 and 17? Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Some doubted. The disciples had gone where Jesus had told them to go. They were meeting with him, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. The word that is used there is actually really important to understand. It's, it's an unusual word. It's, it's only used one other place in the Gospel of Matthew, and that's when Peter was called to go out to Jesus, who was on the water, and, Jesus, and Peter was starting to walk on the water. And we read that he, he hesitated. He doubted and he began to sink. 
That word that is used there is the same word that is used here. It doesn't mean that there was no faith. It doesn't mean that they didn't believe at all. It means that they had hesitation. Maybe they were anxious. Maybe they were fearful. Maybe they were unsure what they were really getting themselves into. Maybe they were afraid of what others would be thinking about them. And we can relate. But I want you to notice the hesitation, the doubt, the half-heartedness of these first disciples didn't surprise Jesus and it didn't deter Jesus. Jesus mobilized his disciples, even the ones who were hesitating, even the ones who weren't completely sure, even the ones who were doubting that they might accomplish God's mission. Our doubts, our hesitations, our fears do not disqualify us from participating in what God is doing. That's why the motivation is so important for us to come back to again and again and again. We have the power and authority of King Jesus. We have the presence of our Savior with us as we go out to participate in God's mission. That leads us to the last thing that I want us to think about. And that is that God is calling all of those who would call themselves the disciple of Jesus to be involved in God's mission in some way. God calls all of his people, not just some, but all of his people to be involved in what God is doing and accomplishing his mission, albeit not in all the same way. And we think about what Paul told the people in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four. He said, God calls leaders of the church to help equip God's people so that the people of God will go out and do the work of ministry. It's not the pastors alone. It's not the elders alone. It's not the leaders of the church alone that are to be doing the work of ministry. It is the people of God that do the work of ministry as they are equipped by the leaders of the church. God's people are to work in the ministry that God is doing. Not just some of us, all of us. We all have a role to play. And as we think about this, we must realize that it is both a, both a privilege and a blessing for us. Rather than responding with fear or unwillingness or apathy, we need to respond with humility and thankfulness that he gives us the great blessing and privilege of being involved with what he's doing. That doesn't mean that everybody is called in the same way, but everybody is called in some way. All of us can be praying. Every single one of us can be praying regularly for God's mission of making disciples. Here at our church, we have a list of the missionaries and ministries that we support both locally and globally. What are you doing to keep yourself up to date on the prayer needs of the ministries and the missionaries that we support? Every week we send out a, a, a link to the TPC Connect page. And at the bottom of that page, there is a list of updates of how to pray for our missionaries and the ministries that we support. It is as up to date as can be. It can give you the very specific needs that our missionaries and ministries have. Let me give you one way that you might put that into application. What if you picked one missionary or one ministry and you prayed for them each day of the week and then you switch to a new one and then send them a note and let them know that you've been thinking about them and praying for them? 
I'm sure that that would be an encouragement to them. And it would give you a way of praying through all of the missionaries and ministries that this church supports. We can all be involved in praying regularly for God's mission of making disciples. Some of us need to be involved in sending. Sending others out to be involved in making disciples. I'm so thankful that Trinity Church has been involved with sending out people for years. Do you have a sense of this? Do you have a sense of how many people that Trinity, over the course of its history, have sent people out? Let me give you just a snapshot. We've helped to plant three churches. One in Mankato, one in Boston, and one in Billings, Montana. We've helped to send multiple families to the mission fields of Bulgaria and Cambodia and the countries and several countries in Africa. One of our associate pastors, David Richter and his family, we helped send them out that they would plant the church in Boston. There have been too many medical teams and medical trips to count that have gone out from our church family. And countless trips out to Crow Creek in South Dakota. And we're about ready to send another one of our members out. Katie Jacobson called to go to Cambodia with the McCafferty's and the other team members there. I talked to Katie this weekend and asked her how it was going as she's kind of just starting her support raising. She's already at 15% of her goal. Her yearly budget is a little bit over $76,000. And she's had a little bit, of, little bit over $12,000 that's been committed already, which means that she's got about $64,000 left to raise before she'll be allowed to go to the field. Can I just throw down a challenge to our church family? Can you imagine if we, as Katie's church family, raised the support that she needs, the $64,000 by the end of the year? Can you imagine how much of an encouragement that would be to Katie? And how much of an encouragement it would be to the team in Cambodia that is waiting for her to get there? On the one hand, it may seem like an insurmountable thing. $64,000 is a lot of money. But on the other hand, it's nothing When God is the one who provides. One of the ways that we're called to be involved with God's mission is to send others to make disciples. Praying, sending. One other way is going. Some of us need to think about going. Of being the ones who are sent out. Maybe globally. Our own denominational Sending agency, Mission to the World, has recently come up with a challenge for our denomination. Perhaps you've heard of it. It's called the 1% Challenge. By 2026, they are seeking to raise up 1% of the membership of the PCA to be sent out as new missionaries to go to the field. That would roughly be about 3,000 new missionaries. MTW asked their teams around the world what they would do if they had that many more people that were coming to the field. And the teams around the world began to dream and to think about what God might be doing in their places. And as a collective goal, they have set planting 486 new churches in 192 new cities in 63 new countries. For our church family... The 1% goal would be raising up two to three people. We've got one already. Who else might the Lord be raising up? 
Maybe it's not globally. Maybe, maybe it's regionally. We have a ministry. We have a mission field that's 390 miles west of us. The Crow Creek Native American Reservation. If you haven't gone out to see uh, what is happening out there, then I would encourage you to talk to the Crow Creek Committee about maybe going out next summer when they'll be doing trips each, each month. And if you have gone out, I would encourage you to think about going again and helping the committee to brainstorm ways of building relationships and sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's not regionally, maybe it's locally. We have several ministries right here in Rochester that we work with and support. Places like Next Chapter Ministry and New Life and Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge and Arrive Ministries. And almost all of them need volunteers to serve and do ministry. You can help make disciples by reaching and equipping people right here. Some of us need to think about going globally, regionally, or locally. And all of us need to be involved with what God is doing in some way, praying, sending, or going. I've shared this true story with you before. It's, it's such a good story. It's a story of a picture. It's a picture of what happens when people get so compelled by a mission that they're able to get through some of the most difficult circumstances of life. When they are so focused and so compelled by a mission that they're willing to persevere through all kinds of challenges. It's the story of Ernest Shackleton. Shackleton was born in 1874 and died in 1922. If you know his story, you know that he attempted to cross Antarctica, passing over the South Pole in 1914. I want you to listen to what they went through. Twenty-nine crewmen left a whaling station in South Georgia area of the islands in December of 1914. They didn't touch land again for 497 days. One month after setting out, the ship, called Endurance, got stuck in an ice pack. After being stuck for ten months, the ship was crushed by the ice shifting. The crew set out on foot across the ice, at times dealing with temperatures 50 below zero. They had only meager ship rations to eat and an occasional seal or penguin that they were able to catch. They reached the end of the ice pack and they put three lifeboats that they had been carrying into the ocean to sail a hundred miles to an enormous rock formation that was coming out of the sea. They reached the rock formation, they set up camp, and they began to rebuild a boat that they could then sail to get back to the whaling station. Shackleton and five men set out for the whaling station that was 800 miles away. They were exposed to wind, water, ice, huge waves for 17 days. They were navigating with nothing but a compass and a sextant. They landed on the right island, but they landed on the opposite side of the whaling station. And three of the men, because of the journey, were too exhausted to go any further. So they stayed there. Shackleton and the two other men set out to cross over the island on foot, equipped only with that compass and 90 feet of rope. They had no map. And they had no knowledge of the island. They walked for 36 hours straight. Scaled 5,000 foot peaks. Eventually getting trapped on a ridge. Being surrounded by mist. 
And to avoid freezing to death, they sat down on a sloping sheet of ice and slid a mile before coming to a stop. Eventually, they made it to the whaling station. Shackleton and those that were there sent out ships to rescue the men that had been left, and they were all exactly where Shackleton said that they would be. How in the world did they make it? How in the world did they survive? The men at the base camp, the men who were left on the far side of the island, the men who got all the way to the whaling station, what caused them to persevere and to endure such incredible hardships? What motivated them to not give up, to keep going, and to reach the goal? Well, certainly one of the reasons was the men were following a leader who believed that he could get them home. They were following a leader who was with them who was dedicated to the mission of getting to the whaling station so that he could so he could secure the men and their lives he was so driven by that mission there was no way that he was going to fail brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus Christ has given his church an even more compelling and powerful mission it is the great commission it is to make disciples of all nations reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ bringing them into the church and equipping them with the word of God and Jesus has promised to take his authority and his power and to put it on his people to accomplish the mission Jesus has promised that He will be with us always wherever we go as we go out to make disciples. And He calls all of His people to be involved praying and sending and going. What a blessing, what a privilege it is to be part of a mission like this because we know it cannot fail. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for those of us in this room who are apathetic about this incredible mission to make disciples. I pray that you would root out the apathy in our hearts. And I pray for those of us in this room who are filled with anxiety at the prospect that you might be sending us, that you might be using us to send others, that you might be causing us to go out, whether it's across the street or across the globe. And through the work of your spirit, I pray you would root out our anxiety. Father, fill us with the motivation that Jesus gives us. And as we meditate on the reality of the authority of all heaven and earth through our Savior and the presence of the Lord Jesus himself, motivate us and move us that you might use us to accomplish your mission of making disciples. We ask that you do this because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.